Namaste. I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in beautiful San Diego. You know, we are always searching for ways to live the example of our teachings in order to improve our world. One of the ways we accomplish this is with Partners Fair Trade Boutique, our store here at the Unity Center campus. You'll find many unique items from around the world, all ethically sourced through fair trade. Beginning with the end in mind. We began our journey together in exploring these teachings, reminding ourselves that the larger context for all of this is that we are committing to living our lives from the inside out, not the outside in. And then we looked at the very first habit, the habit last week, the habit of being proactive, of knowing that we have tremendous potential and power within us, and we need to initiate. We need to be responsible, response-able, and accountable. And this idea of beginning with the end in mind is a really life-changing practice if we consciously give thought to it to begin with the end in mind. I remember the very first time I read this book, and it must have been very shortly after it came out. It came out in 1989, was on the New York Times bestseller list for a very long time, has sold over 40 million copies, translated into more than 40 languages. Just those numbers suggest that it really struck a chord, that people really resonated and with the ideas and found them to be helpful. And I remember when I first read that chapter on the habit number two, to begin with the end in mind, that how taken I was by the exercise that Covey begins the chapter with. And I was much younger when I read this. And so the idea, the exercise he gave was a little startling to me. And it was to imagine that I was witness to my own funeral. You know, as you get older, maybe you get a little more comfortable with kind of considering that. But when you're quite a bit younger, it's like, well, wait a minute, that's, all, that's not going to happen, right? But I can remember how powerful it was when he then went on to describe the exercise that imagine that you're witness to your funeral, your memorial service. What do you want? Who do you want to be there? And what do you want them to have said about you and the life you lived? And I remember closing the book at that point and just being riveted by that question. What would I want the people to say about me? And then as I picked the book back up and continued with the exercise, he continues on to, to, to basically say, how is it that you are living your life now and are you living your life now in such a way that the people you would want to be at your funeral <clears throat> and the things that you would want them to say about you, are you living your life now that way so that that would happen? And if not, my word's not his, there's some work to do. So this idea of pausing and saying, you know, well, what do I want to be remembered for? What do I, what, it, it points right to our, our character, our, our very core. Covey writes, although habit two applies to many different circumstances and many different levels of life, the most fundamental application of begin with the end in mind is to begin today with the image, 
picture or paradigm of the end of your life as your frame of reference or the criterion by which everything else is examined. That's powerful. The criterion by which everything else is examined. And so what does a habit really mean? Beginning with the end of mind means that, that unlike Alice in Alice in Wonderland, we have a sense of where we want to go. And not only do we have a sense of where we want to go, we're honest about where we are right now and how that compares to where we want to go. And not just the steps that we have to take, but the person that we are now compared to the person we want to be remembered for. It's a little bit like that Buddhist teaching, that Buddhist um, goal, if you will, to close a gap between what we know and what we do, between what we know and how we live. So beginning with the end of mind means that we start with a really clear understanding of where we want to go, where we are now, so that that can inform the steps that we take along the journey. It becomes our frame of reference. I remember, too, in reading the, the book for the first time, the uh, certain phrases that Co Covey uses, the tyranny of the urgent. Yeah, the tyranny of the urgent, and how we can get so caught up in the tyranny of the urgent of what has to be done right now that we don't step back and look at the larger picture of what really matters, what's most important. And he uses a business illustration, but it's very personal, or can be very personal as well in our personal life, not just our work life or business life. He writes about the idea of climbing the ladder of success. We want to get somewhere. We have a goal. We, we've got ambition. We've got motivation. We've got drive. We want to get somewhere. He says, but too many people find that they have the ladder against the wrong wall. I remember the first time that I read that, those words, that idea, I thought, it took my breath away. It's like, there's a lot of wisdom there. It's like, yeah, you can be all about really getting a lot of stuff done. But is it the right stuff? Right? We can be super, super, super efficient, but efficiency and effectiveness are not synonymous. First comes the effectiveness, if you will, or first comes, in Covey's language, making sure that we have our ladder against the right wall. And the only way that we really can be certain that we do is when we begin with the end in mind and we really go deep within ourselves to what really matters, what's really most important. Mm -hmm. And when we do, we find that we live our lives very differently, very differently. I'm a, a, a fan of Shankar Vedanta's podcast, Hidden Brain. And if you've never tuned into it, I encourage you to check it out. And I was smiling because one of the most recent episodes, February 20th, so very recent, he had on um, a psychologist by the name of Anthony Burrow, and the topic was cultivating your purpose. Not finding your purpose, but cultivating it. And Burroughs was suggesting in this 
this um, interview that too many people think that they've got to go find their purpose. And most people don't find their purpose. They kind of either fall into it or it's in reaction to a big life change, often a negative change that causes them to find a purpose. Or oftentimes it's a cultivation of purpose that happens as we begin to look at where do we always seem drawn? What do we always seem to care about? Where do we seem to lose our sense of time and, and self? And one of the captivating ideas to me in that podcast that fits with this idea of beginning with the end in mind is they were differentiating between goals and purpose. We oftentimes, I think, in metaphysics, are, spend a lot of time talking about goals, our dreams, our ambitions. Uh, we treasure map for them. We do affirmative prayer for them. We treat for them. And this is all well and good. I'm not suggesting we don't do that. But a goal is not the same thing as a purpose. A goal, no matter how lofty it may be, a goal lives in time and is eventually accomplished or abandoned, right? <laughs> One or the other, right? Uh, but it, it, it lives in time, whereas purpose is a sense of direction and identity that we have for ourselves in relationship to life itself. We may have as a purpose to be the best parent we can ever be. Do we ever really complete that? Do we? No, because it's ever ongoing, right? Do you get the sense between the, the difference between goal and, and purpose? So when we look at Covey's second habit, to begin with the end in mind, we try to get really, really clear on what is at the core of us. And is it the right thing at the core of us? Is it a purpose worthy of our precious time here on the planet? I'm reminded of one of Jesus' parables, a parable where he talks about selling all that you have for the pearl of great price, abandoning everything else for that one thing, that thing that's so, so important. Beginning with the end in mind, Covey says, is based in the principle that everything is cre created twice. We know this in metaphysics, right? Everything is created twice. Where is it created first? In mind, in consciousness. And then where is it created next? In physical form, right? And so this idea of beginning with the end in mind is rooted in that concept, that principle, that everything is created, created twice. Covey says the essential key is asking ourselves, is, is our life by design or default? That was another phrase that when I read that for the first time, it also took my breath away. By design or by default? And this was when computer software programs were still much newer than they are now, right? And, and you know, you could take your computer software program and you could load it onto, you, onto your computer and... There were certain defaults, certain ways it automatically was configured. And you could do some stuff with it, but not the best stuff. In order to do the best stuff, you had to not just have it be by default. You had to get in there in the nitty gritty of it and do what? 
design, make some, make some decisions. Covey says, while it's a principle that all things are created twice, it is not true that all first creations, mental creations, are created by design. Many are created by default. He goes on to say, in our personal lives, if we do not develop our own self-awareness and become responsible for our first creations, those are the ones in mind, we empower other people and circumstances outside our circle of influence to shape much of our lives by default. We reactively live the scripts handed to us by family, associates, other people's agendas, the pressures of circumstance, scripts from our earlier years, from our training, from our conditioning. These scripts come from people, not principles. And they rise out of our deep vulnerabilities, our deep dependency on others and our needs for acceptance and love, for belonging, for a sense of importance and worth, for a feeling that we matter. Whether we are aware of it or not, whether we are in control of it or not, there is a first creation to every part of our lives. We are either the second creation of our own proactive design, or we are the second creation of other people's agendas, of circumstances, or of past habits. I'm going to read that last sentence again. We are either the creation, the second creation of our own proactive design, or we are the second creation of other people's agendas, circumstances, or of past habits. Act or be acted upon. But in acting, make sure our ladder is on the right wall. Make sure that we have in our frame what really belongs in our frame. It's the difference between leadership and management in a business context, but it also applies in a personal context. We may never be or may never have been a leader in a company or a manager in a company, but we had better get good at being a leader and a manager in our own lives. And that's what these habits are about. That's what our spiritual teachings are about. Leadership is knowing what. Leadership has to do with the what and the why, the purpose. Management has to do with the how, the steps on the ladder, right? Begin with the end in mind. Circle back for a few moments to when I took you through Covey's initial exercise in this chapter to imagine yourself witness to your own funeral memorial service. What is it that you would be wanting people to remember you for? How is it that you would be wanting them to describe you? And when you look at where you are in your life right now, how does that line up? Do they line up nicely? Covey suggests that one of the most powerful things that we can do is to have our own personal mission statement, to be really clear what it is we are about what we want to be remembered for, how we want to be experienced. And that to the degree that we take some deep time and thought to consider what is 
our personal mission. Why are we here? To answer the question in the Karen Drucker song that Shana did so beautifully. Why are we here? When we can put that in a clear terms for us, it becomes a driving factor. Driving's not the best word, because driving can sound forceful, and I don't mean this in a forceful way. But when we are really clear about our mission, why we are here, it makes all of the other decisions in our life that much easier to make. In Circling back to the podcast I referenced a little while ago, Cultivating Your, Your Purpose, the Hidden Brain podcast, they were talking about some of these same ideas, some of the benefits, some of the advantages of really knowing what your purpose is. They didn't use the term mission statement, but it's the same thing that they were pointing to. That for those people, and there are studies apparently on this, for those people who do have a sense of why they're here, they tend to be longer-range planners and thinkers. They tend not to be so easily distracted or upset when things don't work out the way that they had originally planned. They live longer, they're happier. There's even suggested evidence that they're more attractive to other people. Figure that one out, right? So Covey says, in his language, what's your personal mission? Why are you here? I don't have time to go through all of it, but he outlines, I don't know, in my notes I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different centers that some people have for, for their life, and that's only a portion of his list. He says some people live their life with having at the very center of their life their spouse or their life partner. And then he describes what that means. If your spouse, your life partner is at the center of your life, then this is what is likely, what you're likely to experience. He suggests others have family at that center. And if you do, then this is what you're likely to experience. Others might have career. Others might have making lots and lots of money or fame. He says that others might even have an enemy they're trying to get, get even with at the center of their life. And in each of these examples he gives, he paints a picture of what that looks like in life for the person for whom they have that as their center. And then he suggests to abandon all of those. And I remember when I first read this, like, what do you mean? I want my family at the center of my life. I think I should have them. Anybody with me on that one? Yeah, at the center of my life. And he suggests no Instead, we should create a center based on timeless and unchanging principles. A principle-centered or principle-centered living is a way to achieve lasting happiness. He says, rather than defining our lives and self-worth through money, enemies, or even our spouses or families, we need to clarify lasting principles that are most important to us. He highlights the power of a well-articulated mission statement based on our goals and universal principles like fairness or integrity, love, service, kindness. And as I started to think about that, and as I started to try to, this goes back years ago, to look at, well, what do I think my mission is? Why do I think I'm here? What do I 
want to have at the center of my life. And over time, it became pretty clear and pretty easy. At the center for me, my mission is to be loving and helpful to as many people as I possibly can by teaching and modeling spiritual principles and practices. Pretty basic, pretty simple, really. It wouldn't fit for probably anybody else. But it really is, when I look at what's at the core of me, and I look at how it's important to me to show up as consistently as I can, it is about being as loving and helpful as I can to as many people as I, I can by practicing and modeling and teaching spiritual principles. That makes it really easy for me to then make a whole lot of decisions to know what I can say yes to and what I may need to say no to, right? What's at the center for you? And if you could not put your family or your partner at the center, and I'm not saying they're not important, they're incredibly important, but if you were to move it off of that and to say, what are the guiding principles at the core of my life? And how do I live those out? You'd be on a powerful mission of self-discovery. One that I think could make a significant difference in your overall, overall happiness and well-being. And in your ability to to be the kind of person that you really want to be at the very, very core. So as I close, I want to read a few more words of, of Covey. And I do want to suggest that you do two things. I want to suggest that you spend some time and ask yourself, what is your personal mission statement? And number two, go ahead and listen to that podcast, February 20th, Hidden Brain, Shankar Vedanta, Cultivating Your Purpose. I think you'll really enjoy it. So in closing, when we're principle-centered, we're guided by a compass that enables us to see where we want to go and how we will get there. We interpret all of life's experiences in terms of opportunities for learning, opportunities for contribution, and opportunities for growth. We become as self-aware, knowledgeable, and proactive as individuals largely unrestricted by the attitudes and behaviors of other people. Namaste.